I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings-on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the Marcelo Bielsa contract of the podcast, long-awaited but never arriving, and I'm joined by the Joe Gelhart forearm of the podcast, Joe Hill, swole beyond belief and looking great in Adidas. And finally, the maroon kit of the podcast, gutsy, bold and basically Manchester United, it's Josh Hobbs. Josh, how are you doing? <laughs> I don't, don't know what to say to that, mate. I'm, I'm <laughs> appalled. I was expecting you to be deeply appalled, so I'm glad I've had the, the right effect. It's just literally just starting to cool down in Hastings, so I'm a lot better than if you asked me a couple of hours ago where I was just melting into a puddle. Josh is, in fact, the colour of the maroon shirt right now. <laughs> so. What's your thinking on the maroon shirt? You you a fan? Uh, the, the sort of mock-ups I've seen, not not good, but... I'd, I'm I'm going to do my best to not care. Hmm. Yeah, that's very, that's very very uh, level-headed of you. I mean, I probably will care, but I'll try not to care. <laughs> and Joe, how are you? Yeah, I'm not bad. I'm not bad. Um, I think I'm a couple of hours ago Hobbsy, and and I'm still sweating profusely, baking hot. But um, I'll take my Joe Geldhart forearm reference in the intro. I thought that was uh, <laughs> quite quite happy with that. And um, which of the three kits are you are you fancying at the moment? I'm definitely eyeing up the uh, the away one. I think that I've got one of those mm. old um, Thistle Hotels blue and yellow ones. Um, so I'm really looking forward to getting a sort of hopefully getting a revamp of that one, matching my shirts mm. up. Yeah, it's all very good. Right, before we get into um, finishing off our season review from last week, we have plenty of things to talk about. Um, I thought we would, well, we've talked about the kit. I don't think we should say any more about that. Allegedly, it's not going to be out until the bank holiday Monday, so ages away, who cares? Um, More interesting, more pressing matters are transfers. And uh, we've had a few transfers that have been confirmed this week, albeit maybe not quite as exciting as we might have hoped. Um, So we had Joe Gelhar and Jack Harrison on Monday. Uh, Jamie Shack came through today. Um, Hobbsy, how are you feeling about the transfer window in general? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm pleased with those in that we we obviously expected Harrison, 
We and we, I think we'd been hearing for a little while uh, that Shackleton um, was going to get a contract extension. Delighted to have those two again. Uh, I think I think Shackleton's got a great future, and I I hope he gets Premier League minutes. Uh, I'm, I think I've said lots of times that I was disappointed that he didn't play more this season, and I know it's a step up, but I think he's got talent, and I think he can do that. Um, Harrison improved massively. Uh, in my eyes, last season uh, from from uh, the eighteen nineteen season, and I think he fully deserves a shot in the Premier League, and I'm glad it'll be with us. And Gelhart just looks a huge talent. I think my my thoughts on him, are, I feel he's in a sort of weird uh, sort of ability slash age range where I feel like he's going to be way too good for the twenty threes, but maybe not quite first team level in the Premier League and he might sort of I don't know what's best for his development I almost wonder whether even though we've just signed him whether we should immediately loan him out to the championship for a full season but I'm sure that isn't what's going to happen but that's just a little thought that I have. Joe we'll go to you um, and talk a little bit about uh, about Jamie Shackleton uh, in particular I think Um, what's your what's your feeling on him in terms of his development, I mean, Josh has touched on it already there, but what are you thinking about him as as a potential talent? I think he's he's definitely up there. I think he's one of the best twenty threes that we have for under under twenty threes, and we I was really glad to see him sort of coming through the, to the end of the season, getting a couple of goals. He's I've raved about him on this podcast before. He's sort of one of my favourites. I just love the sort of dynamism and the pace and energy that he brings. I thought he was great in the playoffs. Um, the previous year um so i think i can i can see it especially because i think they're keeping the premier league bench at, at nine even though there's only three subs i think i read that somewhere that there'll still be nine options so they're not oh are they not oh so it's just seven we voted for that but it didn't go through ah well in that case i'm not sure if he'll make the bench every single week but uh it'll be it'll be certainly nice to see him getting some minutes at some point what's your take on how he should approach this because we talk about him saying well you know he's unlikely to get time in the Premier League but you know the only thing that stopped him getting more time this season was an injury if you were uh, Jamie Shackleton would you be of the opinion that you should stick around at, at Leeds and hope that that something happens such that you can get more game time I think I would I would stick around yeah he's he, he knows he's going to get minutes at some point it's not that he's not going to play you know all season he knows he's gonna probably come off on the bench on some games and if what's happened uh last year ha- happens this year and that a major midfielder gets an injury again um then he's just going to be one more one more spot closer to the first 11 so i think it's definitely in his interest to see it out and try and make an impact in some some big premier league games hmm. do you think he's premier league ready josh yeah i think so i think i think he he never looked out of place uh in the championship um so i don't see why he can't i don't see why he can't slot in and look comfortable in the premier league as well um sure i think he'll, his time will need to be sort of managed but i think if he needed to start he he could start let's talk about jack harrison in the context of the fact that there seems to be a certain amount of logic to the transfer rumors that we've had so far and it seems as though we're going with basically 
improvements both in the left and right wide positions um with the proviso that the wide right position is probably going to be some kind of pablo uh, replacement but we've been looking at a few players on uh, wide left positions which is obviously jack harrison's position so Hobbsy, what's your thinking on this in terms of um I've just seen you've taken a huge bite of something. <laughs> so I went that that decided that I was gonna go to you next <laughs> next for this. But um what do you think the what do you think Jack Harrison should be thinking this season? Do you think that there's is gonna be a situation where he's gonna be battling for a place or do you think he will be the uh, automatic starter and, and it will be a case of him making sure he doesn't lose that place? I think um I expect the vast majority of any signings that we make will come in on the bench to start with um maybe maybe one max two would would come in and be starters but but i think i don't see harrison losing his his place for the first game of the season certainly not um and i think uh i just firstly i think it would be harsh and secondly i think um that's not how bielsa works but i think it makes sense for us to have some different options um in wide areas particularly in terms of um perhaps better goal scorers from wide areas because i think um harrison and costa uh were they were both our um second and third worst um underachievers of xg uh after after pat and um so yeah i think it would it would help to have some other players that would consistently score goals um but i guess the only caveat to that is we don't ever really see bielsa sort of change teams based on opponents or or based on doing sort of i guess tactical tweaks through players i think he makes tactical tweaks through whatever he gives someone as a role in the system but he just gives that same player that role uh obviously it's very rare occasions he has changed it player wise but we're talking like i could count that on one hand let's talk about the specific rumors that we've uh, got around there in general so it feels as though we've we've already um mentioned that there's two potential streams i think it's worth calling them where you've got a left wing position where there's a few players in there uh, and then a pablo replacement there's a few players in there so in the left wing position nico gonzalez of vfb stuttgart is being um Shall I have my pronunciation there is pretty good. Yeah, it's brilliant. VFB. VFB. That's wonderful. I actually think that they would pronounce it Vau, to be honest, because they do that in Germany. This really weird thing, Vau of Bay or something like that. But I won't. Let's not get into linguistics here. It's tremendous, um, mate. Yeah, <laughs> that's what you get from all stats, aren't we? Just a, a, a real commitment to facts. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so on on the left wing side, we're looking. It seems as though we're looking at Nico Gonzalez quite seriously. Um, uh, allegedly, he's been over to to Leeds and had a look around the the training facilities and uh, and the stadium, I, I suppose. Um, and I suspect he's probably the highest um, player on that list of left wing positions. I think um, Saeed Ben Rama will be on there as well, and I suspect maybe Eze. Um, I don't know if Eze would be being considered as a Pablo replacement. Perhaps he would. Um, 
but you know he played he has played large swathes of this season at uh, in a left wing position obviously there's questions about Eze's um, style but there was rumours around today I think suggesting that um, Leeds value Eze at about 15 million but um, QPR want more like 20 million from him uh, for him um, so that's one um, stream we'll call it and then the other stream seems to be this Pablo replacement so players like Harry Wilson who seems to be top of the list and we've got a piece from Hobsey coming out tomorrow I think on on Harry Wilson, um, but then there's players like um, Emi Buendia, who allegedly Victor Orta doesn't like his attitude, uh, but I think a lot of Leeds fans would see him as a perfect Pablo replacement. Um, and then who else is on this in this stream? Am I missing anyone? I think I had Eze down as as that sort of yeah the Pablo thing in in my head. So I think I was thinking that was the the three options that had been discussed. Yeah, and I suppose there's, there, that's up for for debate. But it seems to me that, like you said, that that what we're doing is we're trying to get um, a greater pr- productivity in the wide areas. We need to be scoring more goals in those two areas, and so we're basically lo- looking for creative slash players with the ability to score goals in those areas, um, which I don't think is. Uh, a completely bad idea, <laughs> to be honest. And we've talked about this before in um, in terms of the way that we should change things up tactically going into the Premier League, and that is to solid up the midfield area and 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 get all of our creativity coming from wide areas. Um, and I, it seems as though that's roughly the idea that is is um, is percolating here. So. Um, yeah, let's go. I'll go to you, Joe, and we'll, we can talk about it, a little bit about this. How do you feel about that as a, a sort of transfer strategy? Is that what you were looking for going into this window? I mean, we've we've not talked about centre backs and Ben White, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Obviously, that's the pressing need. But in terms of the attacking positions, are you happy with sort of wide, creative players who um, are, are probably going to be able to score more goals than the current options we've got there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's something that we've we have lacked this season is you know a a ten plus goal player who plays on the wings. You know, P- Bamford was the only one that that got above ten goals into double figures. Uh, I think that's right. Anyway, um, and I think yeah, I think that's what we need to be looking at. Obviously, we'd love to secure Ben White, and there's been some crazy rumours around that um, today, which has been quite funny. I'm sure we'll get into that, um, but. All, all of those players that uh, that you were just mentioning, I think, would be good fits. Um, I have to say, I don't know much about Nico Gonzalez, but certainly Harry Wilson, I think, would be a great fit. Um, and Eze at QPR, you know, he's not he's not going to want to stay at QPR and just be mid table uh, for the next few seasons, which is probably what they'll be. So I think that's I think he's got big potential, and it, it Leeds would be a good a good place for them. Yeah. Leeds fans, I think, have been suggesting that they um, want a striker and it doesn't look like we're looking at any strikers. How do you feel about that, Joe? Well, obviously, uh, Big Kev, is uh, that whole saga still needs to be sorted out. Um, I would agree that uh, it would be nice if, you know, if Big Kev does does uh, go back, it would be nice to have a backup for Bamford, someone that he can really compete against because I, th- I think he would probably thrive in that environment and I think at some of the times when he went a bit stale uh, earlier on in this season it was it wasn't never looking like Nketiah was really challenging for you know the starting place and Bamford sort of went obviously you know he was doing lots of hard work all around the pitch and I, I do rate Bamford but I think we we could do with someone just to challenge him that bit more um Although, having said that, I wouldn't say that's a priority. I would say that uh, looking at these wingers and looking at Pablo's replacement is is a higher priority than that. 
Josh, I feel like you're going to come to the defence of Tyler Roberts at this point. Yeah, well, I am actually because I think <laughs> I think um, if you look at the end of the season, um, he's he start uh, Bielsa started taking Bamford off and putting uh, putting Roberts on for a half uh, up front, uh, and he obviously started the Derby game. I mean, allegedly that that was just the eleven least hungover players that <laughs> that played that game. But he started that game, uh, looked really bright, got an assist uh, for Shackleton. Then he came off the bench, scored scored against Charlton. And I think it happened a couple of times, like in the in the Fulham game. Even though Bamford had scored, Bamford got subbed at half time, and Roberts got moved up front and. Um, Apparently that was because even though Bamford had scored, he wasn't doing some of the things that uh, Bielsa wanted from him that day. And 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 Roberts went up front, and Leeds suddenly sort of obviously Pablo also came on, but Leeds looked much better in the second half. Went on to win three nil. Um, and I've I've said all along, Roberts is a striker. I don't believe he's a midfielder. I don't don't ever think he looks that good there. He looks like um sort of has some nice touches but always looks a bit out of position and um I think he would thrive playing more up front and pushing Bamford. Yeah, I I think I I, I agree with that and uh, I as a result of that I suspect the forward lineup essentially is uh, Patrick Bamford then then Tyler Roberts then Joe Gelhart it would seem so I'm sure Bielsa is happy enough with with that um, lineup, and so as a result, I doubt we'll see a striker coming in this this season. I should say that you know Nico Gonzalez has been played as a striker, but um, he's always only ever played as a striker in a, a wide forward, really in a, in a front two. He's not a hold up player. He relies on the um, his teammate in that um, strike partnership to be the hold up player. And I think if he did come in and was expected to play as a lone striker, there's a potential that he could. Uh, but I do think he would have to do a lot of development before that was really a workable option. But let's just quickly talk about Ben White and the centre-back spot um, before we go um, into the rest of the season review. So, Hobbsy, you've been tweeting about this a bit today and talking about this certainly with me. Um, what's your whole take on the on the Ben White saga and what, what do you think is too much for Ben White uh, for us to consider him being a viable option? Yeah, I can't make my mind up on, on what I think is, is the max that I would spend. But I think <laughs> I obviously don't know what what leads his budget is so i think that's part of it but i think if it it sounds like it isn't the case that we've bid 30 million um but i think i wouldn't want to go much higher than that i might go (laughs) 32.5 like if if we did get rejected for 30 but um obviously the thing with him is that if we signed him we don't have to have any sort of um time for someone to get up to speed with the system and uh, the players all know him really well. He's not got to integrate into his with his teammates. Uh, he's not got to lose all this weight, all this kind of stuff. Um, and I think we all think he's a fantastic player and that he will uh, be worth more than that in, in a couple of seasons' time. Um, but we also have to be sensible to what we can afford. And if we happen to get uh, get relegated next season, have a have a terrible season, which I think we have to all acknowledge that there is a there is a genuine possibility of that. I know a lot of Leeds fans think we're going to go up and suddenly we're going to be competing for the Europa League spots. But I think let's just 
think about surviving first of all and if we didn't then we would lose money on on white we wouldn't make money on him um so i think i wouldn't be able to go any higher than that and then i'd want to look at players like foyth um and others like that that are similar to him but wouldn't be in the 30 mil bracket and would be significantly less i think and foyth wouldn't be cheap but he's not going to be 30 million yeah there's there's been rumours that he would go for about 15 million, which is half of that. Yeah, I feel your pain. It's hard to really know how to value these things without knowing the full extent of the Leeds budget. Um, and obviously, you know, bringing in Ben White would mean we don't need to worry about whichever centre-back is coming in, um, in terms of the system at least. And like, however bad it goes this season, I can't see Ben White going into the Premier League and suddenly becoming less useful in in <laughs> as a central defender. I would... I'd probably have larger worries about Liam Cooper adapting to the the <laughs> raised level of the Premier League, as it were. Um, so I don't think that's an issue. I uh, I guess I'm old fashioned on this in the sense that um, my my worry is is that we're we're just not going to get um, enough cover in that position. And we talked about this actually midweek in the Patreon bonus with um, Thomas Wilson just about how it's not simply that Leeds don't have cover in the senior squad, they don't really have a huge amount of cover really in their 23 squad as well. If you consider the fact that uh, Pascal Strike is probably, probably going to be used as a, as a defensive midfielder, although he, he does have the issue, uh, the ability to play center back, but th- there's also the fact that Oliver Casey's probably going off on loan. And then after that, you're down to sort of 17 year old um, talent, which is, which is worrying in and of itself too. So my big worry, I suppose, is that we just don't have enough bodies there. Um, and I would rather we'd got those, those bodies in now at the beginning of the season um, rather than wait and see what happens as we did in, the, in, the, um, in last season with, with Forshaw. I would rather we just said, right, let's get two, two starting centre-backs and a backup centre-back and I would be happy for that. And, you know, if Ben White goes and um, Gaetano Berardi goes, then there's every logic for why that might be the case that we should approach this. But um, in terms of how much is too much for Ben White, it's hard to know, isn't it? Like, are we are we simply carrying that um, sort of innate fear of what happened last time we were in the Premier League and we, we sort of... Um, we, we sort of spent big to, for success and when it didn't work, everything collapsed. Are we still worried about that? Um, or is it simply the case that buying Ben White, even for upwards of 40 million, is just good business and we know that we'll make that money back later on? Um, I think that's, I mean, as a fan, I think that's a, that's a risk worth taking. That's fine. I don't mind that. But um, when it comes to the, the, the wider position of where Leeds are at, I think there are more savvy ways of doing business. Um, Joe, we'll go to you quickly on this and then we'll move on to, to the season review. What's your take on, on the, the Ben White situation? I think I'm in the same camp as Josh in that above 30 million to me seems a bit silly for a, a team that's get, that's just got promoted. Um, and like Josh was saying, with, with a threat of relegation um and i think if if we if we did supposedly have a 30 million bid turned down and let's say he ends up going to liverpool or chelsea for 40 45 million then i'd quite happily hold my hands up and say look that's that was just out of our budget he's he's a top player and we should be looking elsewhere but i i I do think that potentially we we could be we could get him for for 30 million i can't really see brighton turning that down for a player that's they've that's not played for them for three seasons and that's not played a minute in the premier league i think brighton would be quite silly to turn down a a big offer like that 
So there's plenty of things that are up in the air, plenty of things that are going to happen. Hopefully next week we'll have something more coherent to talk about in terms of the um, actual signings that we've brought in. As I've mentioned, Josh has got a piece on Harry Wilson, which will be up on the Medium tomorrow. So we'll share that on the the Twitter and you'll be able to read that. That will be a free-to-read piece. Over on the Patreon, I had a piece up this week on Nico Gonzalez, um, a scouting report on him. So um, do head across there and, and have a read of that if you are interested. Um, and with that, let's move on to the second half of our championship 2019-20 review. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So last week we talked about the, the run-up to the Cardiff game, which we sort of ter- termed a, um, a turning point in the season. I'm just going to run through quickly how I've divided up the the rest of the season. I've split it into sections roughly, um, and these are by no means um, um, interesting sections by any means. So we'll have a little bit of argument about whether or not the sections that I've picked are are um, uh, sensible. So what I've done is I've gone from the Cardiff game. We we have what I've called a treading water um, moment, where we've had we had the result immediately after, which was against Fulham. Um, a bit of a smash and grab by Fulham. Uh, we had a bit of a smash and grab ourselves against Preston North End with a late goal from Stuart Dallas, a big deflected goal. Um, then we had the crazy Birmingham 5-4 game uh, and then a fairly well-fought draw with West Brom. Uh, and this this section I've got um, is um, uh, capped off by the Arsenal result in the FA Cup. So that's the first one I've got. That's sort of the calm before the storm uh, because after that we then collapse. We have... For four four losses out of five, uh, with the one win coming from Millwall, uh, where we went two nil down and uh, turned things around remarkably. And I feel like in all of in in all of this um, period, really, actually the first and second periods, there was plenty of games where it felt like we didn't deserve to win and we won, and we didn't deserve to lose and we 
uh, lost. So there's a few of those in there. I've then put a mini second turning point with the Brentford game, obviously, which is um, after the culmination in the Forest game where Forest were a couple of points behind us and um, it looked as though we were going to drop out of the, the title race altogether. We then had that result against Brentford, so that I've put as the second turning point. Um, and then I've got good times where we had those string of five wins before lockdown and I've literally just split things off at lockdown and then I've got the last nine games of the season. So, um, Hobsey, how does that feel like a, as a breakdown for the second half of the season? Are you happy with it? Yeah, yeah. I think, think that all um, that sort of feels <laughs> that feels similarly to how I felt at the time. I like that you titled the uh, the run uh, with the four four losses <laughs> in five games as apocalypse, which is <laughs> definitely how I felt at the time. Um, Joe, you've, you, there's nothing that you would change there. There's no um, um, points of contention there. No, I think that that's spot on. That's how I would split it up. I mean, actually, that that period after Christmas, I remember. I remember thinking after the after the Birmingham win, the West Brom draw, which was decent, and then playing really well against Arsenal. I, I actually thought mm. I was feeling quite positive, um, you know, and really looking forward to the rest of the season. So I would even you know title that as sort of mini potential resurgence on you know on the way, and then. Uh, yeah, it did completely fall apart, and apocalypse is absolutely spot on for <laughs> the, that period. I guess the only the only sort of period that I would question how you might split it up better is the is the post lockdown period, um, and I don't know how we would go around sort of splitting that. But to, I mean, to be honest, it, it feels as though Charlton and Derby didn't really count as games. Um, and yeah, I, the rest of the games, it was sort of, it was sort of the run up to the end really. But so I'd, I've got nine games in a row, but I don't think I could have really divided them up any, any other way there. Anyone got any thoughts on that? Potentially the first three of, of that period is, is, were just weird games. They were just, you know, crazy. The Cardiff game was just a freak result in a, in a way, two shots on target and two sort of bad um, gives gives away of, of possession from the defence, and then the Fulham game felt brilliant, but just also so strange to watch in the first half, just getting battered basically, and then Luton the draw, sort of feeling a bit you know a bit aggrieved on that one. So those three were kind of really difficult watching, and then the the ones uh, further on from then, obviously the last two included, were just uh, yeah just party central. Yeah, I think I think that's what um, I remember reading a, a piece uh, from Phil Hay on the Athletic, where he he mentioned that um, the players like called a meeting themselves after the Luton game and basically said, "That's it, we're not doing that again. Like we're not we're not letting this drop." Because obviously they'd sort of taken in that first three games. Maybe we we hadn't quite found our feet after lockdown, where I think every everyone thought oh we'll come out as the fittest team and we'll just run everyone into the ground and we'll reel off nine straight wins and and then we only won one in the first three and I think they just said no that's it and then they won every game from that point on so I think it's fair to sort of have a mini separation after that game really. You could also I guess use the Swansea game as a, as a point of division as well because I think the Swansea game was like the point at which it was kind of we've won this now for me at least anyway yeah I thought that too I guess you could go there as well although obviously the Barnsley game was just horrific in (laughs) in every way as a fan anyway we're we're at risk of talking exclusively about the final section of the season which may be the more exciting section to talk about and um, I'm sure none of us really got has got to the um 
got to the bottom of uh, enjoying that set, the that part of the season yet. So let's go back to that that post Cardiff uh, slump. Um, so there was that result against Fulham. Um, where Fulham got an early penalty, which was pretty soft, and they sort of game-stated us. We did get back into the game, but um, then we gave up a cheap goal at a corner, um, and that was it, bish, bash, bosh. Uh, the Preston game, they pressed us really well, I thought. Uh, pressed us quite high um, and showed that actually pressing leads quite high can be quite a fruitful approach. Um, we haven't seen that happen very much this season, weirdly. Um, I suspect that's because teams realise that it's quite hard to do well. Um, so no team has really tried to do that unless they are a high-pressing team. Um, the Birmingham game was batshit. Um, is there anything sensible to say about the Birmingham game? Probably not. Um, and then you're right. I, th- I think you're right, Joe, to say that the West Brom game was 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 good and the Arsenal game was probably... The first half of the Arsenal game was probably the best game of football that we played. Um, so let's talk about this period itself. Um uh, we talked about the Cardiff game being a turning point. Do you guys agree with that? Did it feel to you that... I know that Hobbsy and I had loads of conversations about this and I remember being really, really mad about the Cardiff game and being like, this is you know, this, this is it because it shows that you can't rest on a 3-0 lead as, as leads and that's a huge psychological disadvantage. But I felt as though you were a lot more upbeat about the Cardiff result than, than I was. I was because I, I thought... So we'd, we'd literally just won seven games in a row and that was... <clears throat> that was our first um that was our first time that we'd dropped points and it was also our first time that we'd conceded a goal at all let alone three goals in i think five games um at least four but we um i just sort of put that down to that's just a freak result um we probably won't concede three again from now to the end of the season that's how I thought at the time little did I know that we would concede four in uh, just a few games time um but yeah I, I sort of thought we'll pick ourselves back up uh, we played really really well in that game we just literally had like I don't know we just shit the bed for 20 for like 15 minutes of the game but I, I didn't I didn't think that had to mean anything um but then to follow it up with an unlucky loss, I think that that the combination of those two uh, that that knocked us. Uh, yeah, uh, I guess in many respects. I mean, do we think there's any sort of tactical reason for for or, or I guess statistical explanation for why this these games happen? Because it feels as though to me that you know we didn't really start dropping off. In terms of, we, we've all seen the XG rolling average that we've put up, and obviously the dip in the middle middle of the season shows up quite considerably. You know, considerably. You now our five game average XG created goes right down, and our um, XG create uh, conceded goes right up. Um, but I think for me that sort of coincides with the run up to the Forest game rather than this period in general. Um, and I wonder whether or not Joe that you think that. Uh, I mean, you've already mentioned that it felt as though things were going quite well, really, at the end of this little subsection. And had a few results gone differently after that, um, perhaps we would we would have just sort of treated this as well. You know, everyone has a few unlucky games in a row. That you know, sometimes you 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 get the rub of the green and it goes one way, and and sometimes it goes the other way. And you know, some of those games it felt like that happened. You know, the Birmingham game, the Preston game, we could easily have not got points from those games and we ended up getting them um, and West Brom as well I suppose um, whereas with Fulham you kind of feel a little bit hard done by because you felt as though well we probably did enough to to win that game so um, how much do you think this the our impression of this little mini section Joe is is based on the fact that we then had that really poor run after it yeah I think it it definitely is affected 
by that. I think it's you, you are right to to split up the season if you were to split it in half. The Cardiff game is is the is the sensible sort of place that you would do that because there there were these strange results. But in this in this sort of small section, ending with the Arsenal game, like 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 you were saying, as a fan, I was watching these and thinking the Fulham game we should never lose that. That's a cheap penalty in the first ten minutes. Um, you know the the rest of them we were draws or wins, so we really weren't doing too badly. I know they were sort of slightly strange games, but I thought the West Brom game we played fantastically. The Arsenal game we played brilliantly, and there was just a. I was at the Arsenal game, and it was just unbelievable atmosphere. The feeling, you know, at that game was fantastic, and I think had we gone on, had we gone on to, you know, not have the apocalypse after the Arsenal game, then I, th- I don't think anyone would have highlighted this period as, you know, the start of the, the beginning of the downfall. I think people would have just said, oh, there was a couple of unlucky games and that's about it, you know. Yeah, I think I think you mentioned the Preston game a couple of times, John, but the Preston game, we actually completely dominated them in the second half. And and actually, although Dallas scored with a deflected goal at the end, we'd missed two very big chances just before that. Um, and we, uh, Info Goal has it as 1.49 xG for us and 0.47 for them. Uh, and they barely created any chances in the second half. Um, so I think because we started so badly in that game, and because they pressed us really, really well, um, I think I think that it, it's sort of easy to forget that we could have very easily won that game, despite the fact that we weren't at our best. Yeah, I I think I agree with that. Do you think there's any sort of tactical reasons behind it? Um, this 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 um, series of events. I think the Phillips get hauled off at half time against Preston. Uh, no, because he got booked in the seventy third minute. Okay. No, I don't well, think he got subbed off. I don't think. Who who do? I'm sure, I've got a feeling someone got taken off. Was it Bamford or someone like that? I think Bamford came off for Enketia on sixty four. Uh, right. But but that but that's it. But yeah, I th- I feel like because uh, in this game they even though they pressed us really well, we sort of rode the storm of that and then click gave the ball away like on just as we broke through their press we were just sort of getting into the final third he sloppily gave the ball away and they broke away but one of the things that sticks out to me in this period of time and in i mean maybe this is more from the the next lot of fixtures but i think alioski began i know because it is because he was a he was basically a bomb scare in the birmingham game yeah. yeah, but he was responsible for something like three of the four goals or something. Yeah, in in this little run of of games, he he was very um just very lacking, very much lacking in positional discipline. And uh, after this period of time, he basically didn't get picked to start at left back at any other point in the season. Yeah, that makes sense actually. Um, and there was certainly like a lack of control in a lot of these games. Um, so, but I mean, the Birmingham game was 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 crazy. But let's let's talk about the Arsenal game because I think obviously, given that we're going into the Premier League, a lot of people will take the Arsenal game as as being fairly indicative of the ability that we'll be able to have there. But how do how do you read the the Arsenal game in terms of how Leeds will fit into the Premier League, Joe? I think it definitely bodes very well. Um, it helps. 
it helps as well that it was uh, on the BBC, wasn't it? So uh, I think it kind of awakened everyone's eyes to um, how good Leeds potentially are. Um, but we also didn't start our strongest eleven by by quite a way. You know, there were was it Gotts that started? Um, yeah. And Harrison was on the right. I think Douglas started. Um, yeah. So and this we still managed to play them off the park in the first half and they 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 brought on some talent I think they they brought on did they bring on Pepe or Lacazette or someone like that and uh, you know they kind of changed the game they just showed their individual class but even then the goal was really scrappy um, and Arsenal are supposedly top six side I know they didn't finish there in the Premier League this year but you know if we can play that way against one of the one of the top teams in the Premier League then there's every chance that we can pick up some some decent results against the bottom half how do you feel about it Josh yeah I think um I think it's good to point out that we didn't have our sort of first choice team out um although we did have we did ha- it's not like we put a weak team out but we didn't we weren't playing Pablo um Costa wasn't playing Cooper wasn't playing it was it was Melier's um debut uh, he was sort of a standout in that that game I remember people raving about him um but yeah I, I think some of the things that stood out to me particularly uh, aside from the sort of obvious way that we passed through their press um just with absolute ease um was just some individual performances really uh Phillips and Click um dominating Ozil and Jacka um Ben White looking very much a Premier League uh, centre back, um, Ailing was was really good. Um, so I think it's it's good to see those players individually not looking out of place. It 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 wasn't just the case of um of sort of the sum of our parts making us look better, but the players genuinely looked good enough. Um, yeah, I think it's fair to say that we sort of played as well as we could in that half, apart from scoring. And then when Arsenal raised it in the second half, we couldn't quite cope with it. So there's, there's sort of things to be positive and things to worry about from, from that game. Um, I don't think we should be making too many conclusions based just off that. And I know some people will <laughs> have made conclusions just based on that first half, really, of, oh, well, we're going to finish sixth. It's like, well, let's slow down. Like, it was great, but we just, yeah, I say again, I think I, people are going to hate me, but we, we just need to concentrate on surviving to start with. Oh, I agree. So let's move on inevitably to the apocalypse because <laughs> the apocalypse comes to us all and, uh, you know, we can't shy away from it. But yeah, it's a weird run of games. The Sheffield Wednesday game uh, against, um, well, a 2 0 loss, which felt like a, a little bit of a game state thing again, where we, we sort of gave away some sloppy goals and then uh, and then there was the, the sort of icing on the cake for them late on. Um, the QPR game, I have very little memory of this game. Bamford missed a penalty, hmm. and Naki Wells with the the basketball dribble. Yeah, I think that's why I have very little memory of it. Yeah, just had to blank it out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, and then the Millwall game, which was a remarkable result, really, given everything that was going on, um, was followed up by the inevitable Wigan loss. Um, which, looking back now, I suppose we can say we were almost the beginning of Wigan's rejuvenation uh, late on in the season. Um, and then the the Forest game where again we got counterattacked and uh, it was another game where we gave away a goal and then they got cherry on the cake um, right at the end with with another finish when we were pushing for a goal. Um, who wants to who wants to 
talk us through this this period so for me this period of time is um is defined by kiko Garcia <clears throat> because he he was um he was dropping clangers in every single game at, at this point uh, i think the Sheffield wednesday uh the first the first goal murphy shoots straight through him at the near post they can't do anything about the about the goal uh a qpr it's literally sort of in the six yard box um the millwall <clears throat> millwall game one of them's a penalty and one's from a corner where he's just typically he just he's so un um he, i was gonna say uncommanding is that a th- is that yeah is that i a think word? that's fine i'll allow you that one <laughs> he just does not take control of his penalty area and the ball just sort of went just over his head and then Ailing was poor as well with that one but then uh, the Wigan goal that's direct from a corner and he's just uh, when I've watched that back he's flapping around like a moron uh, and then uh, Forrest he lets um, he lets one through him at the near post again uh, and that's 1-0 and we're chasing the game and at that point in time we were awful at chasing the game apart from the Millwall game, which was pretty much, I think it might be our only time in the season where we came from behind to win. Mm, interesting. I th- but I that game sticks out in my memory because I had completely given it up at half-time. Um, and uh, that's where I tweeted, there's no leaders in this team. <laughs> it's embarrassing. Fold the club. Fold all kinds the club. Of, I completely, completely <laughs> lost my head at this point. I was... I was done. I was seeing us it unravel, and uh, yeah. So that was that second half was super impressive because I think it was one of our best pressing performances. And Click was a machine, but then he missed an absolute sitter to make it four two near the end. I watched the highlights of this earlier to just remind myself of it. And the miss, like he he can't believe it when he skies it over the bar like he cannot believe that he's missed it and i think he's thinking oh if we concede in this last 10 minutes i am uh, just an idiot <laughs> <laughs> yeah jay what's your experience of this period of time well uh obviously the the sheffield wednesday game was uh was was not great uh to kick it all off and then uh i was actually at the qpr game um living in london it's uh, it's quite easy to get down and uh it's just uh oh, it was just terrible, and I didn't even celebrate when we got awarded the penalty because for some reason I just sort of felt that it it wasn't going to happen. And then I think uh, Calvin Phillips getting the straight red at the end of that uh, that had a, had a massive effect on the next three games. I know we we obviously won against Millwall, like Josh was just saying, but uh, the Wigan and the and the Forest game, we really looked, you know, we we really needed Phillips and. I think that was just a moment of madness where Phillips just allowed the the pressure and the frustration to get the better of him. Um and yeah, the 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 following the following couple of games, well at Wigan and Forest in particular just watching those, I was thinking that uh, you know, this is the beginning of the end and we are going to throw it away and I think we only stayed second on goal difference, didn't we? Uh after those results. So I was I was really not feeling good by the end of these five games. A bit of a thought experiment, but if we'd have played Pascal Struick as uh, as the central defensive midfielder in this period, do you think we might have come out of this period better? <laughs> if he if he played how he played at the end of the season, yeah, perhaps. But I don't really know if he would if he was sort of. I don't believe he's been as good in that position all season, and Bielsa's just 
thought, nah, I'll just use white. I feel like they really worked on that prior to coming back in the sort of mini pre-season. I feel like they, they maybe thought they needed to do that. I could be wrong, but that's that's my theory. It would be strange if he's he's always been that good in that position and be able to just thought, now nah, I'll move my best centre-back. And I think the, the Ben White central midfield experiment really failed <laughs> in many respects, so probably best not to talk about that. <laughs> um, let's move on then to the, t- the second turning point, so the, the Brentford game. Again, you talked about Kiko Klangers. There was a Kiko Klanger in this game, uh, but oh. we fought back from this one. Dear Lord. <laughs> Probably the worst of the lot, yeah. actually. It was, this it was horrendous. I was watching this with my dad. And my, like, I think my dad punched a wall at the time. It, just, it was just like... A, I, at that point, I thought, oh, no. Like, we've we've been playing really well in this game and, it, like, it's going gonna, it's gonna to all count for nothing and that's it. Now we finally have fallen out of the, out of the top two. Um, but, yeah, battled back. And uh, uh, that really was the start of, of, uh, of the the next best run that we had in the season. So do you think it was just simply a psychological sort of redemption where they, they, they sort of got into this mind space? We, we talked about the, the Forest game and the, the dressing room conversation after that game. And I think it was where Bielsa gave a speech, didn't he? And then Luke Ayling gave the uh, post-match presser. And is it just a case that the Brentford game was really the confirmation that actually things weren't as bad as the team had, had sort of got it into their head that it was and they, and they sort of moved on from there? Yeah, I think so because I think um, I think there was obviously that whole narrative of of Thomas Frank uh, saying that um, saying that we feared them um, and then we came out and they only had uh, they only had two shots in the box against us in in the whole uh, in the whole game. Uh, one of them being the goal and another one being I think a header from from their right back Dalsgaard. So. They barely created anything. Uh, their best chance of the game was a gift by us. If you take that out of the equation, their their XG is next to nothing in the game, um, and we missed some big chances. Harrison had that big chance really early on, where he dribbled in uh, from the left, and then after taking on sort of two players, it was just like he ran out of energy to strike the ball and dribbled it straight at Raya. Uh, Costa had a sort of similar thing where he cut in and again put a one-on-one straight at the keeper. Um, but it was good. So I think that Cooper came up with, I think only that was his first goal of the season. He, he couldn't have come up with a better time for a captain's goal. Yeah, and he scored in the um, Charlton game? No, Stoke. Stoke game, Stoke game. Yeah, there's that one where we took that short corner and held the ball for like... And he sort of what? like skewed it in off the <laughs> post. Beautiful. Yeah off the heel yeah so let's move on to talk about the good times then because we, we then went on to a run of five games which i think we were yeah we were workmanlike almost we sort of got the job done um i don't think any of the games felt particularly close but i don't think or, or sort of easy but i don't think any of them also felt as though we were really under any threat of winning um so you've got the Bristol City game and the Reading game, they were both one, uh, and the Middlesbrough game, they're all one nil wins. And I guess at this time, I remember feeling, you know, these were hard work games to watch because, you know, every game was one nil, and we'd just come out of that period where we'd given away stupid goals. Um, it was hard work getting to the end of those games. But then we had the sort of, again, another redemptive 4-0 win against Hull, who were naff. Um and then another tough game against Huddersfield um, uh, in that 2-0 win where they, pre- again, pressed us, a team that pressed us quite high and uh, put us under a lot of pressure. 
and uh, but we st- we still managed to get those wins. Um, and I guess I don't know. I feel as though I feel as though this we think this period was a lot easier than it was. Maybe um, Joe, did uh, can, do you have any memories from this period in, in terms of that being uh, it being more more well, easier than we well less easy than we thought it was? Sorry. Yeah, I don't I don't think it was easy. I think particularly the one nils they were they were hard work, and I'm not sure if it's a psychological thing what we were just talking about you know the the speeches after the forest game or just people just screwing their head on straight but we seem to just do a bit more game management and just think you know what one nil is fine like we can take a one nil win uh and we don't need to have alioski sort of bombing up the pitch trying to go in all guns blazing uh for every single minute of the match um so i think we just I think we just showed our sort of our class and our why we should be top of the league at, at those points. And you know, I would I would at that point I would have taken a one nil win. You know, in every game for the rest of the season, I was quite happy with it. <laughs> Even though it was it was nervy to watch, um, I would have taken it. And then I think I think after that, watch, watching the whole City game was uh, just unbelievable. It's just you know brilliant football and I think it's exactly what the team needed and I think having these five wins before the before the long break I think really really set us up well and really left us in a nice position to to break for a few months because had we not had five wins and with all with clean sheets had we lost a couple and this and that then people go through this massive sort of months off phase doubting themselves you know so I think it was really good for us. Had we not gone into lockdown do you think we would have easily just made our way to to the champ well to the championship title i think the games like the cardiff one uh wouldn't have gone the same way that's for sure i mean that was i think the break didn't help us in 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 that sense before that game because we we kind of had a false sense of confidence so i think it was it's obviously good to to win before the break but had we carried on i think we might have even gone six seven eight eight wins in a row um because our confidence just seemed to be flowing at that point and it didn't look like anything was going to stop us. Yeah, I agree with that. I th- I think it I think we looked a bit I almost think we looked a bit nervous after after the break. Like we came back knowing oh we've just been on this run can we we've got to sort of restart it whereas we would have just been on the momentum full of confidence. Um but I mean, at the end of the day, we did we did coast it, even though it, perhaps it didn't feel like it at times. And perhaps I think because of the narrative of oh Brentford are coming up behind, everyone was feeling way more nervous than they needed to feel because the, we were just doing our job and and we we won you know six in a row to to win it, um, finished ten points clear of second. And we got a bit unlucky at the beginning, and they got lucky pretty yeah. much for the first few games. And even still, even with those conditions, they didn't catch us up. Um, and then in the end, obviously they they started dropping the points, and and we 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 had our nice run of form then. Um, it's just the, and this is why I think both you and I, Josh, all the way through the final section of the season, were just saying, you know, it's it's just it's so unlikely for a team to make up that kind of points differential just because if yeah if you lose a couple of games that's fine but they're going they are going to lose a couple of games which they did they are going to drop points and it, it, it's so hard to have a long run of games like that and, and to overturn a points differential one team has to do really really well and the other team has to do really really bad and um in the end we did really really well and in fact got more points i think in that period than than Brentford overall yeah we did we got more points 
than anyone at, at that point. And I think, um, yeah, well, I mean, we're in danger of jumping. Oh, have we already jumped in? I think we have, yeah. We have. Um, <laughs> sorry. But um, that's, um, it was, like us, you said, we would have had to um, go on really bad form. But I didn't even think we were going to go on average form. Like, I, I said after the Luton game, we, we now need to put two, like, we need to get two wins in a row. Blackburn and Stoke, we can very much get that. And we went in and put six. Um, which, uh, the the more I think about that, the more sort of phenomenal that is. Because we were under massive pressure. Um, they, ha- they had the pressure that they put on themselves of, we will not mess this up two seasons in a row. We had the, the pressure um, from Brentford uh, constantly winning before us. Um but then because we kept put sending it back to them, it sort of became almost in our favour because we always knew that we had a game in hand rather than uh, rather than feeling like, oh, we've got a win to um, to pull away from them again because we, we never let them catch us, so we, we weren't needing to pull away. Joe, you were never in doubt about us going up, right? <laughs> well, I think actually uh, at the time I was, I was in the camp that Brentford could win all their games and I remember saying to you chaps in the in the chat that we have you know here's a list of all the teams that have won 10 games in a row and here's yeah. uh, here's why it might happen and maybe maybe Thomas Frank just got in my head but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, yeah I was maybe I was just playing it extra safe but I was I was just being erring on the side of caution uh, but having said that looking at the fixtures that we had to play like the like Josh was just saying the Blackburn and the Stoke one I, I, I did feel confident that we could get wins there um and then I think after uh after Hernandez hit that goal against Swansea um that just sort of sent me wild and I, I think that's the point when I, I mm. really started to believe it and I really started to enjoy enjoy the feeling of uh you know Leeds are going to the Premier League and I think it's, it's, it is important to point out that, you know, um, the lack of pressure did did really change the way that the games felt at the end of the season. And I don't think that's simply the case that as fans, we were more nervous than than uh, we should have been. But if you look at the, the, the obviously the Derby and the Charlton games, we just sort of blew both teams away, really. With, I mean, the Derby game was a game where, as we said, most of the players were hung over. Um, if you compare those two games to the Swansea and Barnsley game, which are two of the most touchy affairs I think that we had this season, just a remarkable um, sense in which the, um, the the sort of pressure that had built up really really came to the fore. But there were, there were those interesting games as well, the Stoke City game where Stoke really held us and then sort of collapsed once they gave away the first goal. Um, same with Fulham, where we had a really rare um, efficiency in front of goal um, situation. And um, again, blew blew them away despite having been, as Josh said, really quite undone in the first half. Um, so I, I do think that you know, had uh, a lot of this comes down to pressure, and I think had we not crumbled the pressure in the middle of the second half of the season, I think we would probably have probably probably would have walked the league fairly easily. Um, maybe that's easy to say in hindsight. Um, but it, it very much felt, and I, again, I, I always point, point back to the um, rolling XG plot because it's not simply the case that, you know, Leeds, Leeds played badly uh, and and then 
they sort of started playing well again. Uh, it's very much the case that you know Leeds hit, Leeds throughout the season had been producing good chances and conceding barely any, and then they had that run of games where everything just collapsed. So something happened, and I don't think it was tactical. So it must have been there must have been some other explanation for it. But <clears throat> does, does anyone have any thoughts on then the, the overarching feel of the season? Um, do, do we worry that that psychological fragility will be there in the Premier League, or will the underdog status suit us, Joe? I, I think the underdog status will suit us. I think this having having bottled it in uh eighteen nineteen, it really played a part this season and everyone was expecting Leeds to be up there and you know, the the pressure and we, we did show that we, we can we feel the pressure and that we are vulnerable to that. But in the Premier League there there's gonna be no pressure whatsoever, you know. Every game against Liverpool and Man City and Chelsea, we're going to be expected to lose. So if we do, then it's no problem, you know, because they've got unbelievable players. Uh, so it, even getting a draw against those teams will, will give us a massive lift. Um, so I think I think we're going to be much better off, at least psychologically, next season, just sort of with no one really expecting anything from us. And hopefully the narrative can be that us proving that wrong rather than uh, proving all the all the people saying we're going to bottle it right. <laughs> so I think this pretty much brings us to the end of the season. Can I just say say one thing, John? Because I just realised that we just haven't mentioned how ridiculous Pablo Hernandez was <laughs> post, just post-lockdown. Just He was not fit and... He just he he didn't even play so he didn't he didn't play the only game that we lost which was the Cardiff game only played for half half a game against Fulham changed it played one of the best passes I've ever seen uh, for Jack Harrison to make it three um, came on against Luton when we were already losing uh, so we got back in the game when he was on the pitch. And yeah, his performance against Stoke, his winner at, Sw- at Swansea, yeah, he he was just magnificent in in that period of time, and uh, I think that's something that is going to stay with me. My sort of memories of watching Hernandez in that final run, uh, I think he was just a man on a mission that he was going to get Leeds promoted, what <laughs> whatever uh, happened, and that goal that he scored at Swansea, um, I sort of watch it every few days just to remind myself of <laughs> of that of that moment it just it felt like the perfect thing that it was him that scored that goal well that seems like a lovely place to to pull our season <laughs> review to to an end and obviously as we all know the end of the season confirmed that Leeds United will be in the Premier League uh, and so the weekend of September the 12th Leeds will be playing their first game in the Premier League in over 16 years and we look forward to bringing you content for that General housekeeping stuff. Do follow us on Twitter. Um, if you really like the stuff that we do, then why not join us over on Patreon? Patreon is a channel which allows us to put up bonus material that you can uh, subscribe to. Uh, we've had a few interesting things on this week. I've already mentioned my scouting report of Nico Gonzalez. Um, there's also a podcast with Focus on Leeds, Thomas, Wilkins, Thomas Wilson of Focus on Leeds, where we looked at the under-23s. Uh, that's a podcast, so do head over there if those things sound interesting to you. Three people who've done that this week are Chris, Joe Thornton and Baggers, so thank you guys for joining us. And all that remains for me to do is to say thank you to Joe. Thanks very much. Thank you to Josh. 
Cheers, mate. We'll be back again next week with actually, hopefully, the first of our player reports. So we've not really thought about this, which is why I don't really know what I'm talking about. But <laughs> there's something for you to look forward to, and we'll see you there. <laughs> this is the best preview I've ever heard. <laughs> deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 